Welcome back to the Electrify podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo, North America's largest EV festival coming to a major city near you. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Electrify News podcast, the final episode of 2022, just because uh, we're running out of 2022, guys. <laughs> There's not enough days left, yeah. <laughs> There's not enough days left to do another one. But uh, I am your host, Joe Boris, here with your other host, Matt Teske. How you doing, buddy? I am great. Was that very? That was very Tony the Tiger of me. Are we going to get? That was good. I like that. Yeah, well, you've but been no, it's, representing it, America and Tony the Tiger all over Europe and the UK in the last couple of weeks, man. How'd that go? It's it's been really yeah, really busy time. But as as you know, we're seeing around the world, literally EVs are just everybody's talking about them. Doesn't matter if you're ever an everyday person or obviously if you're in the industry, it's a hot topic. But no, it's been really fun. Um, you know, getting a chance to you know, be in a variety of different countries in the last you know few months, just you know, having conversations with a lot of people in the space about what's happening, where they're from. Where, and again, a lot of it is obviously not just happening in North America, um, but really getting a chance to see kind of what are the differences between, you know, different countries and different places around the world for how EVs and EV charging are hitting the market and how it's being, you know, received by the public. Um, it's been very interesting because there are certainly places that are doing it better than others. <laughs> Oh, 100%. And, you know, we talk about this a lot in the context of Chargeway, right, of how you're going to communicate these differences to chart, you know, to people who are not only new to the EV space, but old hands, too. You know, you have all these networks popping up left and right. There was a study. It wasn't really a a super clear study uh, that said that there would be 68 million EV chargers in operation uh, put in in the next three years, which just seems bonkers. I mean, that's got to be single family homes and everything else. Right. But it just goes to show how many new networks are popping up left and right. Well, that's part of it is you can basically create a network out of thin air and you can call it a network. There's really no like parameters around what the definitions are too clearly. I mean, there are some groups that are working on it, you know, through department of energy and DOT, obviously Um, the alternate fuels database, and you know, they're trying to kind of, you know, herd the cats around how we're going to discuss all this stuff. And yeah, it's even that study. I mean, 68 million. It's like, okay, what are we counting as a station? Is it a single family home that has an outlet for a level one? Or is it a shopping mall that has, you know, a bank of, you know, 10 level seven, 350 kilowatt chargers, right? It's like, what are we talking about? And so that's part of the problem. I think there's just still such a a gray area around what we're defining. And the public is on the receiving end of all these studies and information. And it's tough to navigate it. And that's, again, to your point about Chargeway, that's, we're just trying to help people navigate that chaos. And it exists in North America in a, in a big way to needing to clarify that. And so these studies that come out like that, you know, are they helpful? Uh, sometimes maybe not. They just might add a lot of noise. So I don't know. It, I think they add a lot of noise. I, I think too, you know, I was having a conversation with someone uh, who was up in Canada and they were talking about, yeah, you know, I often go on a 200 mile drive and I'd be worried about finding fast charging here. And if I got stranded on the side of the road in extreme weather, like we have had in the last couple of days. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. Well, I yeah. know. And they talked about, they wouldn't want to be stuck on the side of the road with an EV that wouldn't last. And I'm sitting here thinking like, are you like, I know what news channel she's watching because <laughs> when you look at some other news channels that are perhaps more credible, you know, mm-hmm. you hear stories about people that are running their entire home off of their Ford F-150 Lightning or maybe not their home, but they're using that Ford Pro Power generator to power their refrigerator, to keep the lights on, to keep the heat on in you know one or two yeah. rooms and kind of stay comfortable. And you see that over and over again where, 
you know, where you have a more, let's say, propaganda like slant, you just hear about, well, you know, some people have said that they're concerned about range anxiety in the cold. It's like, oh, do we people have any data to back are, People that? are saying, people yeah, are exactly. saying. Yeah. Well, this one guy on Twitter couldn't get his Tesla Model S to charge. And I guess that means all EVs are bad. It's like, dude, go <laughs> call every dealership in the country right now and ask them how many people have their, uh, you know, gas filler cap frozen to the car that they can't get to to put gas in it right now. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Does that not make sensationalist headlines? OK, we'll move on. Well, things that are new, that are different, they get the clicks, you know, doesn't. Yes. I, I mean, that's in any market and in any topic, it's, it seems to be the way it goes anymore. But no, I mean, yeah, the, the, the news though lately, as you were describing about like cold temperatures and what's been happening with public charging and it's. What we're what we're seeing a light shined on with this is at the end of the day, it has to be about the public's experience, and the driver's experience. They have to feel confident. And we as an industry, we are rolling out product as fast as we can, partly because now there's there's evidence that there is money on the table and there's a lot of different you know people coming in you know into the conversation. And there are some that are doing it very effectively and some that are not. And I think one of the biggest things we're seeing, in my opinion, is we're seeing some very compelling cars come to market finally from automakers, whether we're talking, you know, new startups or, or, you know, established OEMs. And so we're seeing a lot of good variety, which we've wanted as an industry, you know, me as an EV enthusiast, I've wanted to see that for ages, but I've always been on, on, you know, from the position of it's not just about the car. In fact, it's more about the fueling experience. So you can trust the car. So you can have the coolest EV in the world. And if you can't charge it effectively and trust that you can use it as every other car you've ever owned, it becomes a less effective car. And so the evidence of the extreme cold issues we were seeing in the last you know, few weeks with fast chargers, in, you know, they were impacted by the Arctic blast that came down from Canada. That was, again, shining a light on the fact that that experience is not the best yet for, a, and the, candidly, for non-Tesla EVs. Uh, Tesla's supercharging network in, in the US is, is just by design, it is easier, but they also maintain and manage their chargers. They do a very good job of that. And that is what we're not seeing yet from the, the non-Tesla charging networks that are using you know, the, the CCS connector or you know, the green fast charging connector in Chargeway. That's where most of these other OEMs are going. Not most, we're all essentially. Yeah, and so if that's not going to work for all those other OEMs, we have a massive problem on our hands. So. Well, and it kind of comes back to, you know, the, I, I swear I was, I actually tweeted this to Ed Niedermeyer that we say his line so often on this show that we should probably send him some kind of royalty beer or something. Building cars is hard for all yeah. of the criticism that you, that people level at Tesla and Tesla build quality and everything else. Building mm -hmm. cars is hard. Building an EV infrastructure is hard. Building out software that communicates that in a somewhat intelligent way and works most of the time and has good uptime is hard. And yeah. Tesla really nailed both of those things. And they really, somebody there, whether it was Elon or somebody else really understood that having that charging network in play is what was going to make this a viable thing. And so far with the possible exception of Volkswagen, every other automaker has been content to kick this can down the road. And um, it, it's, it's going to hurt them. It, it's well, going to hurt them. And, and with regard to, I mean, so what Tesla, I mean, so J.B. Straubel, Tesla's former CTO, is really, my, in my understanding, is who really spearheaded the, the need for focusing on, you know, charging in the supercharging network. So, and that was because it's like, it's just, it is more about the fact the car can go the distance. It has to have the ability to access high-powered energy, you know, high-power charging for the energy. So, 
I think that what we're seeing from the other, the other OEMs, I mean, and Volkswagen, unfortunately, I mean, they're, they have their own problems on the automotive side with, you know, software and other details that have been disruptive to their, you know, their executive you know, level, you know, people <laughs> who are managing things. So, so what we're seeing is, yeah, build, is, you know, building cars is hard. Building charging is also really hard. And yeah. I think that the issue that's really, again, as I said, that's, you know, bubbling to the surface is if you do not have a charging network that is well-maintained and managed by some like people or an entity or something, then, and you're just leaving it to chance of like, yeah, we put it in the ground and it's got power to it. And we have a cell phone signal from it. Therefore it's up. That's going to be the biggest conversation coming out of the Nevi funding is what does uptime actually look like? And there's a lot of conversation about this happening on Twitter and other places on social media from those in the EV industry who are you know following this topic is we can't just let networks say we have 98% uptime if their version of uptime does not mean a person can charge. But uptime means a person can charge and easily. That's and it. So it, and it, charge it, at full capacity. Well, that's that's the yeah, exactly. What does easy mean? It's like I drove up, I connected, it powered on quickly, and I got the power I was promised. And and that's that's again, you know, we're talking about you know kilowatts being a moving target for you know how you can promise charging because people don't necessarily know what the state of charge might look like on their car or what right. the charge, you know, how that might impact things. So I'm gonna throw a curveball at you. Oh, I love baseball. We <laughs> sports ball, my favorite sports ball. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit a touchdown with this. Give it to me. <laughs> so, all of this is true, and mm-hmm. I have often criticized the notion of battery swap platforms because going on a road trip, you might get a battery that doesn't have quite the capacity of the one you traded in. You might never see that one again. And you might end up with kind of a crappier battery. Now, that said, I do feel like in the markets that it's been put into place seriously, I don't want to talk about Israel and Project Better Place and what a shenanigan fueled nightmare that was. But like Neo is doing these things in Norway. They're putting their second generation unit up there. They're, you know, slow charging these batteries using readily available infrastructure. They don't need to have the same kind of DC capacity and fast charging. They have Mm -hmm. a standardized platform that seems to work for people. You don't have this issue of, you know, is it up? Is it down? It's communicating. It either swaps it or it doesn't. And at the end of the day, yeah, it may not be the battery as good a battery as the one that you had, but that's as simple as going to a swap station the next time you need to, and you get maybe Mm -hmm. a better one than you had. Um, is that something and a model like that being proven out as practical in some of these other markets, is that something that we need to start looking at in North America, or is it still something where the infrastructure and the grid is going to grow out faster than, than we're ever going to get automakers to decide on a standard battery? Uh, so there's a lot, yeah, that was a a slider and a curveball. With a little bit of a snot ball or something. I don't know. I'm sure you're going to be able to turn this thing into a touchdown and uh, pin the guy one, two, three. Let's do it. You know how it goes. I love to dunk. So uh, <laughs> all so, of these things are imperative to hockey. Exactly. <laughs> the one sport so, we might actually be able to talk about. I was going to say, like, I played hockey. I love I love me some hockey. Um, OK, but so to so all those points, I, I think, put on my Edmonton Oilers jersey. <laughs> Ooh, really? Come on. I, I, Why do you like, think okay. I'm miserable all the time? Connor, okay, Connor McDavid's great, you know, but like it's been a long like when Gretzky and Messier were there, like the Oilers had some, you know, some real respectable things happening. But again, I grew up a Calgary Flames fan and, uh, oh. you know, they, 
But they've also had some, they've actually done. Yeah, we were, we were Winnipeg Jets house. Ooh, well, hey, they left and then came back, you know. They left and so, then came uh, back. Uh, so we, we kind of got on a, a tangent there, but hey, go hockey. <laughs> um, but the point about what you're asking, uh, which is like, is that viable? Is what Neo is showing they've done in both China and in, in Norway, is it, is it viable? I think the biggest, I, to your point about it, you can slow charge these batteries. And they don't necessarily need a high amount of energy, you know, or power production for the, you know, for the energy they need. Um, but I think what we're going to see over time with that is that mineral procurement and getting enough batteries to accommodate the market that would want to use that type of service will prove to be very difficult because it's already proving to be difficult. And with, then from a logistics perspective, someone has at an OEM or somewhere has to take a step back and say, what is more practical for us to, to approach on you know, meeting driver needs? Is it a lot of mineral procurement and getting a battery, a bunch of batteries sitting around in various places where we hope and think they might be from a road tripping perspective. And then how much, how much capital goes into then buying and keeping those batteries stocked and then asking, is that as hard as or harder than making sure that we can somehow either build our own or subsidize our own charging infrastructure that then has to have power production provided to it logistically an OEM can own the batteries, I think more easily from a, just a, a product management perspective, but there's a lot of capital that goes into that. And then the, then the, the mineral aspect comes into play. And then you still have to build out facilities where that are, those are stored on corridors and routes where you hope people will be for needing a battery swap, whether that's in an sure, urban sure. center or on a route. So I think that Neo's taking that approach and they're showing that it's been effective for their brand. Tesla tried it here in North. They didn't really try it that hard. I mean, they did it here in North America, got some funding for it out of California, and kind of did it as a stunt, and then just shut it down on I five there in California. And it's, I think, for what we're going to see over time, it will be more. I, I don't want to use a word practical, but because it's maybe not practical, but because you still have to reduce the electricity. But I think that putting infrastructure in and managing that infrastructure is is more approachable than getting all those batteries and storing them somewhere. We should opinion. get the guy from Southwest to manage the infrastructure. Oh, I got to say, you know, <laughs> that, that, that seems like a, a slam dunk because, you know, if you're driving and you need to make sure your bag stays with you in your car, when you're getting your battery swap and next thing you know, your bag is like on a drone that's being lifted away from you as your car doesn't get its battery and you just sit and watch your bag leave. You're like, that's so Southwest of them. Wow. No, I, everybody, everybody laughs at me. They're like, why, why do you like have to fly United? Like, why are you such a militant weirdo about hey. it? It's like, because this stuff doesn't happen on United. Well, for, again, you get what or, you pay or for. Least, or at least you get what you pay for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. There I is mean, no there's... Southwest, you know, Admiral's Lounge for a reason. <laughs> it's like a, <laughs> well, it's like a Southwest Corporal's bathroom latrine <laughs> latrine <laughs> like, well what, what we're pointing out is if you get what you pay for but hey now we're kind of getting back to it let's say you're a neo driver and you're like yeah you're right i get what i pay for and i got this battery swap system technology and man i don't have to think about stuff at all i charge at home when i need to but if, even if i don't have a house i can just go swap battery and man they've made this turnkey and easy and i love it but if you're buying a an ev that doesn't have that sort of a battery swap technology and you're relying on infrastructure that is also not managed by the OEM or someone else. Uh-oh. Yeah. You know, and, and again, I, consumers are not going to like put up with this. 
Well, that was weird. See that? My hands like this. No, no, I like when your hands appear and disappear on the, yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. No, that's no, good. Um, I, I, I agree that consumers aren't going to put up with it. And I think that I think that consumers are much more able to understand the difficulty of battery swap than they are to understand the nuance of charging. Um, and I also oh, think yeah. if, you're, if you're Panasonic, if you're LG, if you're CATL, how much easier is it to say, look, we're going to build this Tyco 9.6 V turbo battery and you guys are going to build chassis that work with it or you're not. And that's cool, too. Well, we may if see, you want to be a part see, of this network, you're going to use this battery. No, and we may see that's the thing is it makes me just think of that thing my dad said to me, you know, over 20 years ago. The thing Whoever about Borax? No, not Borax, but it's I'm, it's awesome you remember that though. But but his his comment when I was in high school in the 90s wrenching on my car and he said, whoever makes the best battery in your lifetime is going to win. And wow. that, you know, and I, that stuck with me for years because I was, I mean, I was a car guy, but he was in that moment when I was a teenager, he was saying, just so you're aware, like this is where the, the, the evolution of, of energy and transportation can and should and will probably go. But whoever nails that down is going to win. And we that's where you look at things like, you know, startups that are in the battery space. I mean, we've got Stordot, we've got uh, QuantumScape, we've got others that are in this space around batteries. And, and there's a lot to be said about where that evolution of, of technology can go. We're just not seeing it happen extremely fast yet. But we are, I mean, we do have viable EVs on the market. So how this industry is going to evolve in the next you know, 10 to 20 years is is going to be exciting. It's going to be interesting. And to that point about how we communicate that to consumers, consumers know, like I roll up and I get like an extreme battery. Why? It What if it takes them two minutes to get their extreme battery? They pay an extra 30 bucks for it on a road trip because the extreme has more energy density or it has better range or God knows what. They'll oh, get what you're that. Saying. Yeah. And like, you don't have to have the extreme battery all the time. You just get it for your extreme road trip or something. Yeah. Now the hard oh, part about that, that is, though, is, is, but, but people with in general with cars, cars, and especially in the United States have meant freedom and they have meant simplicity around that. Like all I got to do, my car's always the same. If I just got to go get gas really quick, that's how they think of it. The idea of like, Oh, I'll have my, my non-extreme battery for community around town. But if all of a sudden emergency hits and you got to go see family, for some like something tragic happens, you got to drive and you can't get a flight. You got to drive, you know, cause you're, you're a Southwest customers. You have to drive. I mean, sorry, <laughs> but you can't, you can't say sorry. Like they've brought this upon themselves. We they, can make fun did. of them for a good three, four weeks on this. Yeah. It's until all the bags are returned. They, they get to get the, the, the ribbing. Um, Elon runs pantsless out onto the field at the world series. We can do this. I don't want to know why that was just said, but my point about batteries it's not even a non-zero chance come on (laughs) oh i don't does he like sports ball oh he was at the world cup he was Um, at the world sports ball championship was at the world sports ball championship um what the heck was i getting at uh oh but like emergency super max battery emergency call yes if if you could say it'd be no it would be no different if you were at home with a not like a non-extreme battery if you had like you know your 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 town battery that had you know 150 miles of range and you got that emergency phone call and you're like, I got to go see family. It would be the same as saying I, I have a half empty gas tank to just go to the gas station really quick and fill up as it would be to say, I got to go to my battery swap station, get my extreme battery, get, get the heck on the road. It would be similar. And that experience of speed and, and convenience would I think people would like, but then it gets back to the coordination around 
who's making the battery? How does it fit into every single car? Not every single vehicle has the same structure underneath it for how that battery could lock in. I mean, there's a lot to coordinate around manufacturers for both battery and OEM along those lines. And again, Neo's proven they could do it into their own ecosystem. Tesla, you know, said they could do it. And I think they could if they really wanted to. But yeah. that's, again, it's siloed. So it's not- But they've simple- gone the other way now. Tesla has gone to a structural battery that's built into the unibody. Oh, Yeah. That- I mean, they, they've gone not only like they've built it the other way, they've gone completely the other way where your car is, for all intents and purposes, your battery. Yeah. Well, that's and again, the reason based on what I've read and what they've explained is that they looked at that purely from not from a how fast can we fill up this you know tank on this car? They said our bigger concern now is cost of manufacturing and making that more efficient and reimagining how we put these things together. And so they get to your point. Yeah, they, they stopped emphasizing like the fill up and they said, how does this work for actually how we're building these vehicles? And can we reimagine that instead? And so, again, we're, we're talking about all these different approaches for how people think about at these, at these automakers, how they're going to approach this stuff. So I think what we're seeing is that while we have infrastructure, getting back to our comment about the infrastructure having issues right now, is we have to see better accountability and better responsibility and management and how these dollars are being distributed to the private sector to build the, you know, from the government to, in the, in the U S to build this infrastructure, we have to have far, far better oversight around this because right now it's just feels like it's kind of a cash grab and anybody that puts in a proposal that can convince somebody from a state DOT to say yes to their proposal, will get some kind of profit out of it. But are they thinking about the driver? I'm not seeing that right now. And that, that has to change. So Speaking of cynical cash grabs, I don't know if you've noticed, but the uh, Ford F-150 Lightning has gotten a little bit pricier than uh, when it was originally launched. What? Are you <laughs> so no, 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 no. Are you trying to insinuate that, that corporations are out to make a profit and when things go weird, they have to change things? I think that what I will say is oftentimes manufacturers will launch hot new products at an advertised price that is perhaps not as profitable as we might have been led to believe, generate a bunch of hype, pound their chests about how they could do it when nobody else could, and then slowly, quietly, over the course of many months, slowly raise the price 40% and hope that nobody notices. I, You might be onto something. I mean, I'm not saying you're an economist, but... (laughs) No, but I, I, we're, yeah, well, that's what we're seeing. It's kind of, it's not a, is it a bait seeing, and switch? Dude. Is it a bait and switch? Or is it more of a, we got the excitement going and now that we see real excitement, I mean, the F-150 Lightning has reservations like for what? Oh, it's still uh, sold out. We've gone from yeah. a $40,000 base price to a $56,000 base price. That's, but yeah. that's a lot. But now before we pick on Ford, I seem to remember a $35,000 Model 3 being I think, I think advertised. There's, there's one of them. I remember it had cloth. I remember it had cloth seats. It. Yeah, it had cloth seats, and like instead of having a console where you could store things, it was just like a gaping hole or something. I mean, I remember it was like you want. It was like the Southwest Airlines of, of Tesla Model Threes. It was like no frills. There was no frunk. It just like dropped into the ground below. Right. You just opened it up, and it was just like the pavement staring oh. back at you. Like, did you ever drive the Mazda? What's it called? The MX Thirty, the Mazda EV. No, but I do remember your review of it and how you were commenting on that when you like opened it up and you're like this is peculiar <laughs> <laughs> well i haven't seen that since the 70s where you open the hood of a car and you can see the ground 
Well, because, you know, we were driving like in our, in our lifetime, we were driving things like, you know, Mark four R 32s that had a VR six motor shoved into a golf where it's like, not only can you oh, yeah. not see the ground, you can't see the side of the, the motor. <laughs> You're going to have to drop the subframe to change the back three freaking spark plugs. Right. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's that's yeah, that's a real solid point. I mean, we've gotten so good at package engineering and mm-hmm. these guys have gotten so good at jamming so much under the hood that when you look in there and see nothing, I yeah. mean, you kind of just go back to like, okay, this was clearly not the plan. I mean, on the opposite end of that though, I was driving a Genesis G80, the new electric mm-hmm. G80, and I opened the hood and I don't really know what I expected because I haven't ever seen like a frunk on this thing. I just, I just, what I do, I open the trunk, I open the hood, I take pictures, yada, yada. And I yeah. open the hood and all of the cooling stuff is there. All the mm-hmm. controller, power controller, everything is there. And they have it arranged like in a way where like it looks engine like it looks mm-hmm. very science fiction-y, engine and like it's very clean install. It looks almost like one of the Riddler hot rods where they open the hood and there's an engine there and you know it runs. But like, where are all the vacuum lines? Where are all the cables? Where did it all <laughs> right. go? It kind of looks like that. And I was looking at that and I was like, I would take this is the first EV I've ever seen that I would take to Cars and Coffee. And I would hmm. take it to Cars and Coffee and I'd back it into my spot, just like all the little dowdy guys do. And I would pop the hood and like, <laughs> then you can see the the engine in there. And like, dude, it looks cool. I think it would, uh, I think it would turn some heads. Well, it's interesting too, because you're, you're genuinely seeing this happen from other EVs that are hitting the market where you have these traditional OEMs that are making very compelling and very good EVs. Like when you see it sitting there, you're like, God, that thing's just cool looking, man. I want to go drive that, you know? Oh yeah. And then you start getting the little details about what you're describing and, and the popping of the hood aspect. It's, it's almost like when it's an EV, because people got so used to Tesla, it's like, well, if I pop the hood, I'm going to see a frunk. And the packaging of these vehicles is still very, you can tell it's being done by a company that's done it a certain way for a long time. They're not reimagining the packaging the same way, yeah. um, but they're still making it look good. But even like on the EV6, when the first time I popped a hood on that, I was like, yeah, that's not really a frunk. That's just kind of a little extra glove box. You yeah, know? exactly. But yeah, even so. that, that comes right out. And I, I had this conversation um, it wasn't James Bell. It was so James Bell was kind enough to come on the stage with us at Industry Day yeah. uh, in Austin. But it was one of his buddies that was there for Kia. While you were up there talking to James, I was talking to him on the sidelines, and mm-hmm. I made that comment about the frunk and about the Genesis. And mm-hmm. he's like, "Oh yeah, that whole it like lifts up like a tray." And it was yeah. like, "Well, why did you you know make that?" He's like, "Well, you know, in the in the Kia, the EV6, people expect that, but on the Genesis, we had more room, we had more ability to style it, but also." it's easier to work on a a mechanic, a technician, somebody that needs to service that they can pop that hood and they can reach everything. Right. No, that's a good point of that. That's a really good point. point. If you're looking at it for like, if you have a Tesla and you pop the hood and you have nothing but plastic and frunk, but if you do need to do something like work on the heat pump, anything else, you got to take that entire plastic tray out now, not, I mean, and tray, it's like the entire inside of the frunk. Is it difficult? Eh, it's not difficult per se, but it's just kind of cumbersome maybe. Whereas like, if you can just see what you need to work on, it's fine. Yeah. And so it's just I mean, two this different isn't approaches. Limited, this isn't limited to EVs. I mean, if anyone who's ever tried to work on a Porsche Boxster will tell you what a nightmare that oh. is. Yeah. Well, this is, this is also the idea of like, who are we building this thing for? 
you know, <laughs> who are we building this for? Exactly. Well, but again, a, a, a guy who owns, who's buying, you know, they're spending $90,000 on a Genesis is not a typical consumer. A guy who's spending a yeah. hundred grand on a model S plaid or 150 grand on a model S plaid is yeah. not a typical consumer. They're buying for different things. And I think the idea that, you know, somebody at Genesis said, our customer wants to pop the hood and see something cool in there. Well, I think they, they, that speaks to like somebody who is an enthusiast is making those final calls at Hyundai and Kia and Genesis. And that's yeah. why we're getting such great cars from them. Well, they, they're focused on refinement in a lot of different ways. And, and, and this, this makes me so, again, so excited about what's being built from the car side. Um, yes. And, and we're, we're going to continue to see the, the, the brands that are showing that level of attention to refinement and materials and, and again, little details like that where you pop the hood. It's like, yeah, but they want to see something cool, you know? Yeah. And I, don't, I, I don't think, I think it's a, I think it's a neat approach. It's, it's getting back to the beginning of our conversation of can you use the car like every other car you've ever owned, you know? And right. it's, that's the part where there are still are these siloed aspects of product planning that are happening that need to open up more. And I, it's interesting because when, when you have legacy brands doing it from a parts bin perspective or different vendors, they might work with or different things, whether we're talking the battery or the software or the motor or God knows what, that it's hard to accomplish that to make a cohesive customer experience. So we're going to see a lot of um, bumps in the road along the way, I think. And we're seeing some big ones right now with regard to the outside of the vehicle um, that, you know, drivers are contending with. And it's, it, it does make me nervous you know, with respect oh, yeah. to well, and if you if you combine, you know, there's there's been a lot of talk lately about you know the the EV revolution has been hitting some stumbling blocks and seems to be slowing down. Some of these car makers saying, well, I don't know, 2035, that's real close. Yeah. Um, and I I don't know. I this is me being a cynic, right? I look at that and I go, look, all of these automakers in 2019 at the start of 2020. They looked at Tesla's valuation when it was going up to a trillion dollars of valuation right. of market cap. And they were saying, we want our stock to look more like Tesla's. We don't want to be trading at a PE ratio of six or eight. We want to be trading at 45 or 55 the way Tesla is. So we right. need our product portfolio to look like their product portfolio. So right. that's why we're going to start making all these announcements. And, you know, in many respects that worked. and then. For a lot of factors, whether it's supply line, whether it's uh, market correction, whether it's, you know, your your CEO is running around spouting pro-Russian state-sponsored <laughs> propaganda on Twitter. Yeah. There's a lot of things that could be behind Tesla's stock price coming down. But as that starts to approach something resembling what the market has seen in the past for auto companies yeah. in terms of valuation... And I'm saying that as as diplomatically as I can, I think other car makers are saying, oh, wait a minute, that is not the rocket ship to the moon of, you know, stock price profit that we thought it was or that it once was. We need to focus on fundamentals. And that means we need to keep moving our highly profitable F-150s and Silverados and Ram yeah. 1500s as long as we can. Well, that's and the thing that's interesting. I, you know, that's Tesla and their stock and everything else. I mean, and and you can't you can't do anything now and not like see Elon's name and and it's it's kind of overwhelming at this point. But I think what we're seeing with the reaction to what's happened there, and I, I think it is very clearly, is that Tesla is not a car company. The car, cars are an aspect of what they make. 
right? And the traditional brands, if they view it how you just described, of like, oh, well, we can't just start making EVs, and it's not going to be like this. So we should think about our traditional products and how that can, and that's what consumers will, will want to, you know, gravitate toward. I I think that would be thinking of the company wrong. Um, and and I say it in this way: in the last week, I you know I have a Model Three, and I've had multiple EVs over the years. I've had, you know, the Chevy Bolt, Spark EV, the Volt, and my wife and I have, you know, had a combination of these cars over time. In the last week, all the news that happened around charging and vehicles and and, and success around, you know, people being able to drive, but then also being at home and what happened with the Arctic blast and power and how that impacted travel and everything else. We drove our Model 3 360 miles one way and by the time we left where we live in Portland to where we went to in Washington to visit family for Christmas, the temperature dropped like 35 degrees and we got down to like negative seven. And I was still able to pull up and plug in at a Tesla supercharger, you know, level seven, plugged in, started charging within 10 seconds, got what we needed, got back on the road, did that up and down, no problem on that trip. Then we get home and a massive windstorm hits in Portland. Power goes, we hear a massive boom outside, power goes out. We have solar and home batteries, and they are from Tesla. And power stayed on. I stayed on my work call. My life didn't change one bit in either way. That's to me, that's the point is that it's not just about the car. And it's not just about the fact that they make cars. It's about the fact that the ecosystem from a customer experience is different. And again, I I've seen people tweeting this lately saying, you know what? Elon is doing crazy things now. And it's not worth really listening to what he's saying right now. And that I think that that's going to keep being the case. But what they have as a product and through that company and how that works for customers and the public, it's a very effective product. And, 100%. I, think that, and I think that's the... If you, if you think of it as just a car or you think of it as just something else, I think that, that you'll miss the point. And, I, and, and it's odd because it's been in market now for over a decade. And it still seems to be that people aren't fundamentally understanding what their ecosystem is. That kind of surprises me. So, you know, I, I, I think that's a good point. And I think it comes back to like, you know, what is Apple and Apple's ecosystem with the app store and everything else? Like, you sure. know, Apple's big revenue driver after the iPod, which was a thing that existed before the iPhone kids. It was kind of a... <laughs> yeah. Kind of like a Walkman, but digital, if you remember those. You have to explain what a Walkman is. We're going to use that. <laughs> that. That used to play your 45s or LPs, but they were actually transcribed onto magnetic tape and you'd have a reel-to-reel reader in Kids, your pocket. When you're, when you're watching Home Alone and Kevin goes in to talk to Buzz and Buzz has that yellow brick thing in his hand right before he's packing to go on the trip. And he turns, looks at Kevin, he says, what do you want, Flemwad or whatever he says? That thing he's holding, that's a Walkman. And it plays tape. Plays music. It'll play up <laughs> yeah. to eleven songs. Yeah. Merry Christmas, all. Anyway, so to your point, Apple ecosystem. IPod. Yeah, like if you if you're trying to value Apple as a computer company in mm. 2022, like oh, Apple computers, you've made a fundamental mistake. Yeah. If you're trying to value Tesla as a car company, I think you're making a similar mistake. Yep. And I think of all the people who gets it. There are a ton of people who are Tesla fans who get it, um, but I think the one person who gets it that Elon, or maybe not Elon, but whoever is actually running Tesla behind the scenes should really pay attention to and understand that this is a competitor is Mary Barra, because GM has been making some 
legacy minded moves. But if you look at what they're doing with Bright Drop, if you look at what they're doing with GM Energy, if you look at the investments they're making on the backside as far as PV manufacturing, they seem to be reading the same tea leaves that J.B. Straubel read 10 years ago. And they seem to be saying, we've got this legacy company and this legacy profit base and this legacy network of suppliers and manufacturers and everything else. We're going to turn that into a real competitor to this thing. Um, And I, I really, I really don't think anybody else has that. Maybe Neo uh, BYD possibly, (laughs) but um, in terms of companies that we deal with on a daily basis here in North America, I think it's just GM and Tesla and Tesla obviously. Well, yeah. The head start. Well, GM is proving that they're, they're treating it like an ecosystem. Um, I think that they are being extremely conservative in their approach. Um, I think all the, there are investments being made by them, which is great. And they are, they have a plan for product to come out, which is exciting. Uh, you know, 12 months from now, what will we, what will we be saying about the Silverado EV and the Equinox EV and the Blazer EV as they're up and coming, you know, mainstream vehicles? I'm excited to talk about those and see how they, and see how people respond to them. Um, I think they, they are, again, but just taking a slow play. They're planning in the background, making announcements where they can. They want to keep the buzz going. Um, I, frankly, I'm not too ex- interested in seeing their EV for every, you know, EV for everyone ad on Sunday Night Football every single commercial break uh because every time i see it i'm reminded that only one of those yeah i'm only like one of those four vehicles is actually available right now but that's better than the lincoln ads where zero of those vehicles are available ever oh don't worry i mean this is me being picky about like authenticity but but they are making the they are making the steps in the right direction you know i but they are being very conservative about it because turning that turning that ship that is GM is like turning the Titanic. I mean, there's a lot of cultural elements that need to be thought of there. So I think you're right in that they are making the right moves. I will still say that the the charging side of it. I mean, I I recently got. I mean, I, I still get in the mail their New Roads magazine for all the years I owned Chevy EVs, and so I got the whole EV issue, and I was flipping through it, and they had a whole page about talking about charging, and I was underwhelmed. Because yeah. it, it, it just glossed over reality. And that said to me one of two things. Either they know that they don't have the right answer, so they don't want to shine too much of a light on like the realities or something else. You know, well, that's got to um, be it. I mean, they, they, they're not clueless. They know what's no, up. No, they're not. But, but again, this is, this is me looking at it with a lot of knowledge. But an average person who gets that type of information and it's presented as just like, like one of the sentences was literally you just plug into an Ultium charger and it does the rest. And I'm thinking, what? Like, that's not, that's not terribly transparent. And that's, that's the part of the OEMs I think we're going to have the hardest time, is they're trying to present a Tesla-esque experience. Ford with, you know, Blue Oval Network and Ford Pass and GM with Ultium 360 and, and Ultium chargers. They're trying to present a branded experience that feels akin to what Tesla's doing, but they don't actually own that experience and the reliance they have on those third-party networks to really do a good job of the maintenance and upkeep and really think about the driver first, there's still some gaps there that I think are going to yeah. create some, some problems for owners in the future. And that concerns me a lot. Yeah, well, it's like, it's almost like Android and iOS, where if you have an Apple phone, you know, it's all going to work and everything's going to work the way it's supposed to, as long as yeah. you stay within that ecosystem. And if you're on an Android device, you know, yeah, it works on a Samsung, but maybe it doesn't work on an HTC and maybe it doesn't work on a yeah. Nokia. And that 
problem has gone away to some respect over the years, but it took some time to get here. I mean, if you had like like a 15 years. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like if you had an HTC one, you know, the first Google Android phone, and then you had from there, somebody else had a Nokia or a Sony or something like there were apps that did not translate well at all. Yeah. I mean, that's just, I mean, I I can say, I mean, just even the experience we have, you know, and what we do with Chargeway is, is that accommodating an app on the Google Play Store to all types of different hardware device, you know, hardware options for Samsung and, and Google Pixel and everything else is, yeah, you have to be very mindful around how that can translate to certain users' experiences. And that's, but what we're talking about is a handheld thing that each person has like just in their pocket that they use for communication and things like that. So it's akin to that. But when you're talking about a car, and a fifty thousand plus dollar investment that it has that you have to rely on to physically move you and your family in a way that you feel confident. That's a different type of consumer experience, and it's um it's very it's very uh, personal to you in the in that way. And so I don't know. It's we're at the beginning of this conversation in so many ways, uh, but it's one thing that's important is to just be able to weed through the noise because uh, there's going to be more of it coming when it comes to what's happening. In there's the going to be a lot more coming. Well, especially yeah. you know. So, so look, so we're, we, I think we're, we're good here. We're, we've got a show. I think that's a show right there for you boys. We do. do we? So we do. we're wrapping up 2022. What do you think was the biggest story of 2022 and what oh. do you hope will be the biggest story of 2023? I think the what biggest story like to see. Well, I think the biggest story of 2020, when it comes to, when it comes to EVs, I would say the biggest story of 2022 was the fact that, we a combination of two things. One on the private sector side of things, we really saw true investment and true product coming to market from OEMs uh, in a way that we really hadn't seen prior. And I think that was really exciting to see. The other side of it from the public sector was the biggest story being like the, the Inflation Reduction Act. What was passed through that from a legislative perspective with regard to clean energy EVs, and then obviously the NEVI funding for charging. I think the com- the combination of those two a- aspects really proves and shows that this is all very real and it's moving forward. The biggest story of 2023 is going to be, is it working? Is it working? Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> is it I, working? I, I think that's right. I think for me, the big story of 2022, uh, it has to be the F-150 Lightning coming to market. You know, mm-hmm. that we have a full-size mainstream four-door, six-passenger pickup truck running around on electrons and the fact that it is being sent in to first responder situations. You know, we had tornadoes mm-hmm. in Kentucky, we had floods in Florida, we had massive snowstorms and snowdrifts, and people are using the technology that's built into this platform to yeah. to save lives. I mean, let's not put let's not discount that. If your life was saved because you could hook up grandma to a Ford F-150 lightning generator or because it was able to keep you from freezing to death last night. That is the big story of the year for you. And I think that kind of thing is really, really powerful. And I think we still have not yet seen that side of it hit the mainstream consciousness. And we might not for many, many years. Um, Tip of the 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 iceberg on that. Tip of the iceberg. Yeah. The story that I'd like to see be big news in 2023, there's a little known law about parking when you have a residential or a commercial building that says Mm -hmm. there has to be X number of parking spaces for your store based on square feet and capacity and things like that. And it's really based on kind of old thinking of, you know, people are driving in their cars to get everywhere, pre-Uber, pre-e-bike, all that kind of thing. 
And it really shapes the way cities are built. There's a great line from the guy who invented Sim City that they were going to do parking lots Sim, originally. Sim City. Oh, Sim City was great. That yeah. they were going to do parking lots to scale, and they couldn't do that because they quickly realized that that meant like two thirds of the map would be parking lots, <laughs> right? And that right. nobody wanted to play Sim parking lots, so they just right. did away yeah. with so it. who would care about going there? Yeah. But if you if they revisit that and the the numbers that I'm seeing in Illinois and talking to people in New York who who I've been able to connect with through our Long Island visit of all things, yeah. um, it looks like the number is going to be cut in half. Wow. And if you could reclaim that as green space or reclaim that land and build more affordable housing on it or we're in densely populated areas or, or even just remove that land completely and just throw grass on there and not have mm. that warming effect and that city heat effect. Sure. Um, I think that's going to be a tremendous change and it really is going to speak to making it easier and better for people to get around on micro mobility projects. And I think that, for me, that's a, that's a, yeah, it's a huge point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for me, why are we doing this? We're ultimately doing this to get away from fossil fuels and stop burning the atmosphere and have a better, cleaner, more sustainable world. And I think that going from a, from an uh, internal combustion car to a gas car. Yeah. That, that makes a real difference. That's a real positive change, but I think a more positive change is do I need to take my car to the store today? Do I need to drive to Starbucks when I'm yeah. just going to sit there on my laptop or, you know, look at TikTok? No, I can take my bike. I can take my skateboard. I can take my, uh, my new NQI two pro scooter that I got uh, sent over by the new people. Thanks guys. Um, take my jackrabbit. Take my jackrabbit. Take yeah. my, I can take my jack out, oh, dude. I love the little jackrabbit. Every time they bring that near the stage, I'm like stealing it. But I, cool. I really think that, you know, for me, that's the big change that needs to happen. And, and I think it will happen. And I, I wish it was 2023, might be 2043. But uh, I, I, for me, that's the one I'd love to see for 23. It's, I think, well, that conversation is happening, right? I think yes. the, what you're describing is there's probably a longer play to it because we're talking about behavioral change and cultural change on a level that, especially in the United States, we, we've been a car culture for a century. I mean, honestly, yeah. like, I mean, we're getting to there. And that is not something that you undo quickly, but if the right people are in positions of influence and they can prove that the decisions being made on what you just described, improve life and make life easier or better for, for the public and people in a variety of different ways that is not related to being a car culture. I think that there's a huge opportunity there and we're seeing it trend in that direction. And that's a good thing. So um, will it happen in 20, like, like you just said, will it happen in 2023 or 2043? I think we're at the, we're the very beginning of that conversation, yeah. but it's going to continue to be a very important one, especially in urban city centers like you described. So Exactly right. And uh, if you want to try those micromobility projects in 2023, hey. we're coming to seven cities next year. We're going to be uh, live at at least two or three of those you're going to go to, right? I mean, I'll be at, I'll be at, I'll be at some of them. Yeah, I mean. I'll, cer I'll certainly be there. <laughs> I will be there. No, I mean that. Honestly, that's that's the game plan. I I uh, I, I think as, yeah. as we've been. It's so funny because like, you know, I was talking. I was I was talking to some of the other people at Electrify Expo, and I was like, "Do I want to go to seven of these?" It's like, no. But do I want to go to DC? Yeah. Oh man, Miami. They're gonna have water events. Yeah, I missed out on that last time. I'm definitely gonna go on the water event. Yeah, New York. Got to go back to the Clam Shack, man. That place was amazing. Oh. Of course. Well, I, I think, think it's like fun. Seattle. Yeah, Hobbs is there. So, of course, I'm going to go to Seattle. Well, now, now I'm at all seven again. What happened? Well, I think the cool thing is these are all these are seven cities around, I mean, around the U.S. 
all of which have a different story to tell when it comes to what what the opportunity is for electrification in those yes. areas. And that's the to be at each of those cities and see that and talk to people that come into the expo and what their questions are, what their lifestyles are like. That to me is the most fun about that. And um, yeah, so the goal and game plan is this would be at all seven because it'll be fun. That's the whole. I'll point. see you at both of them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Happy New Year. 2023 is going to be a big year for Electrify News, Electrify Expo, Chargeway. Um, keep listening, man. Apparently, we're in the top 4% or 3% of podcasts now. That is sad. Uh, that's Well, so I've been actually getting contact by people that I own in the industry that are like, by the way, just FYI, love love what you guys do on, on the on your guys' podcast because you make it entertaining but informative. And that's the point. So just so you're aware, I have I have heard those comments from other people in the industry. Thank you for those compliments, folks. And we're, we're happy that uh, you enjoy what we have to offer with this uh, little podcast we've we, our, we've our been, little project uh, here. All yeah. right, guys. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you in 2023. Thanks for listening to the Electrify podcast brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo. Be sure to catch full video episodes on YouTube at Electrify TV and follow along on social media for daily clips and more.